Good morning, church family. Are we on? We're good. Good morning. Will you all pray with me a minute? Heavenly Father, as as we just sung, we are coming to you. Lord, we are coming to you to deliver and to hear a message. And Lord, we say, we need you. Lord, I need you to preach your words, and, and we need you to hear them. And so, Lord, we pray, would you, would you send your spirit and fall fresh? Lord, would you, um, as Evan prayed, soften our hearts and our ears to hear you? Um, and, Lord, would you just be in and abide in all? In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm so excited to see so many guests here this morning. And so I'm feeling the need to give a little preface of what we're doing. So we as a congregation have been walking through the book of 1 Samuel, which is largely the story of King David. And so along with walking through David's life, we've been looking at various psalms that he wrote throughout his life as a study of a life of worship. What does it look like to worship the Lord in all things and to pray to him in all things? And so we've been giving reading assignments. And this week the congregation was blessed to read the story of Saul trying to kill David. And so I'm going to start by telling a little bit of that story so that we're all on the same page. So there was once this really handsome, really tall man from the tribe of Benjamin, and his name was Saul. And Saul was a loyal son, a good son to his father. And one day his father came to him and said, Saul, my donkeys are missing. You need to take a servant with you, and you need to go find my donkeys. And so Saul being a good son, took a servant and went to go find his father's donkeys. Now along the way, Saul and his servant ran into this holy man, this man named Samuel. And Samuel was a prophet, and he was a leader in Israel. And people knew that Samuel was a wise man who knew all kinds of things. And so Saul said to Samuel, Do you know where my donkeys are? I'm looking for my father's donkeys. But Samuel didn't really seem to care about these missing donkeys. Instead, the Lord had told Samuel the prophet that Saul was a man who had been set aside to be the king of Israel. So imagine this. Saul goes to this prophet looking for donkeys and comes home with the keys to the kingdom. Now when the time came for Saul to be anointed as king, he was nervous. Can you imagine? And so he hid from Samuel when it came time to be anointed. He was timid and afraid. But eventually, this timid and nervous Saul became a great and mighty king. Saul was a warring king who defeated many of Israel's enemies in battle. He led troops. He was mighty, and he had many victories. But unfortunately, as it so often happens when things go really well, Saul's head started to grow, and he became prideful. Saul stopped listening to Samuel. He stopped listening to the Lord, and he marched into battle without first asking for the Lord's blessing. He was impatient. And then when he did go into battle, he didn't handle his enemies the way that the Lord had told him to. And as if that weren't bad enough, when Saul had a really great victory, he erected a monument of himself to bring glory to himself for the battle that the Lord had delivered to him. Now, in response to Saul's selfishness 
and his pride and his lack of taking refuge in the Lord, the Lord removed his favor from Saul. He told Samuel to tell King Saul that another leader was being raised up, that another leader would come and take away the kingdom. Now imagine the paranoia. The existence of being a mighty king, and you know full well that it was the Lord God himself that put you on this throne, and it is the Lord God himself who intends to toss you off it and give it to somebody else. Meanwhile, Saul's mortal enemies, the Philistines, are waging war, and as we learned about last week, the Philistines had this giant. I think the giant was almost as tall as the cross, a little bit taller. Eight inches shorter than the top of the cross, named Goliath. So you've got this tall king looking out across this field, and he is shaking in his boots. And who does the Lord raise up to conquer this giant but a little shepherd boy named David? So David comes out and slays this giant with one stone, and the people rejoice. The people of Israel begin to glorify this shepherd boy David, Saul's own generals recognize David and start to bring him into places of leadership. And now I'd imagine that a king sitting on a throne, knowing that a leader was being raised up to take his spot, would be a little worried about that shepherd boy. And here we pick up on this past week's reading. Have you heard that saying, keep your friends close and your enemies closer? Okay. This is what Saul does. So after David defeats Goliath, Saul keeps David so close that he can keep his eye on him all the time. Saul even goes so far as to marry David off to his daughter Michael so that he can maintain control. But Saul can't seem to keep his paranoia and his fear in check for very long. David is now leading troops into victory. The people are loving him seemingly more and more every day, and his power and influence in the community is growing. Now Jonathan, Saul's son, who happens to be David's best friend, sees this and thinks, I need to step in. And so he tells David to flee. And he goes to Saul and says, Father, why do you hate your son-in-law? This man is an asset to our family. He's winning victories. He's loyal to you. He's loyal to your daughter. Why are you trying to kill him? So Saul calms down for a little bit and David sticks around, but one fateful day, Saul snaps. David is playing his lyre and Saul grabs a spear and hurls it at David with the intent of killing him. Now David is able to dodge Saul's spears and his wife, Saul's daughter, helps him to flee into the desert to consult with Samuel the very man who had anointed both Saul and David for the same throne. Saul and David, a tale of two kings, a tale of two men raised up by God, anointed by the prophet Samuel to sit on the same powerful throne, two men of great power who were given great hope and great futures. And yet this morning we have two men who are faced with extreme anxiety and uncertainty. On one hand, we have a king who is about to lose the greatest gift that he's ever been given. And on the other hand, we have a man promised a throne that seems impossible to attain. 
two men facing some serious opposition by each other for the throne that they both believe is theirs. So I know that we all like to affiliate with David. If I were to ask you who in the story you were, we would all go, I'm David, right? But let's think about Saul for a minute. Have you ever found yourself feeling like Saul? Like your very existence, everything that you have is spiraling out of control. Sin and brokenness has caused so much damage that you can't even see past the brokenness. You feel like you are on the brink of losing everything that means anything to you. It might be your job. It might be your home, a marriage, your relationships. That last chance that someone gave you that's slipping away. The walls of hope are smashing in and your vision gets blurry and you can't see. You can't see past it. You feel helpless and you feel hopeless. But maybe we're on the opposite of the spectrum where it feels like something was promised to you and it doesn't seem to be happening. You know, in the word, the Lord promises us goodness in our lives. And sometimes we look around and it doesn't look very good, does it? The word also promises us healing. And internal healing can take a really long time to work itself out with the Lord. And external healing doesn't always look the way we want it to either. Maybe you just thought life would look different by now. And the dreams and hopes that you had are slowly getting farther and farther away. Helpless and hopeless. Now I think we can all agree that at some point in life, nearly everyone finds themselves in this spot of helpless and hopeless. The question isn't, will we face this? The question is, what do we do when it happens? We've got two kings this morning that had two very different solutions to the problem. And as our story this morning tells us, Saul consistently reacted to problems in his life by taking them into his own hands. He consistently refused to take refuge in the Lord, and he consistently tried to beat his head into a wall and find his own way through things. It is this sin of failing to take refuge in the Lord that ends up costing him everything. So we can see Saul's reaction... And in the Psalms, we can see David's reaction. And so, would you all grab your Bibles? We're going to turn to Psalm 5. In your pew Bibles, that's page 842. And as we read this, I want, to, I want you to think about David sitting in the desert wondering, what's next? Page 842. Psalm 5. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence, and you hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. 
The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house, and in reverence I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave, and with their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God, and let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous, and you surround them with your favor as with the shield. Friends, does this sound like helpless or hopeless? David, in the middle of being chased out of a very kingdom that was promised to him by his own father-in-law chucking spears at him, is full of hope. Listen, Lord, says David, listen to me. Consider my inner turmoil, the things inside of me that I can't even say. Hear those things, Lord. Respond to them. Every morning I come to you, Lord, says David, and I tell you where I'm at and what I need because I have hope. Lord, I wait expectantly because I have hope that you hear me and that you respond. Now, a person doesn't ask for things that he knows he's never going to get, does he? David asks in hope. Now, where on earth does a man in this situation muster up hope? So David starts to remind himself of the truth of the character of God. Who is God? David is identifying that he serves a God who hears when we cry out, a God who responds when we cry out, a God who is both God of heaven and king of this earth, and a God who is literally so opposed to evil that evil cannot exist within his presence. And then in verse 7 we hit the jackpot, the fountain of David's hope. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence I bow down toward your holy temple, and by your love I can take refuge in you. Now, in today's culture, love is a cheap word. We love songs, we love television shows, we love food. This isn't the word that David uses. Now, in Hebrew here, the word is hesed. Can everybody say hesed with me? Hesed. Now, Bible scholars will tell you if there is any one single word that would describe the character of God, it is this one. Hesed means much more than love. Hesed implies exceeding, unfailing, relentless goodness, faithfulness, and love. I love that word, relentless. This is love that really never fails. Now, David knew, and we should know, that it is the Hesed of God that had anointed David king. It is the Hesed of God that slayed Goliath. It is the Hesed of God that delivered David from Saul. It is the Hesed of God that protects the righteous and punishes the wicked and it is the hesed of God that gives David refuge and hope. 
Now, one of the commentaries that I read in research of this sermon summarized the point of this whole psalm with this quote. Human hope is grounded in the essential character of God, a character that is constant, that does not change regardless of the ebb and flow of human circumstances. The righteous, those who take refuge in God, find hope in God's holiness, both because he is incompatible with evil and because he is relentlessly good. What separates Saul and David is that Saul turns away from God and David takes refuge in God. And this is what causes David to say, Lead me, Lord. Lead me in your righteousness, says David, and make your way straight. Lord, keep me ever bound to you in your refuge. Keep me holy, says David, and lead me not into temptation. In the final verse of the psalm, David gives us this beautiful image of a shield. Now take a look at those things. They are big and they are heavy and they surround you on every side. Now many people might ask at this point, why did it have to be so hard for David? Why couldn't the Lord just pop him on the throne and move on with the day? It is one thing to own a shield, to have it in your basement, just hanging out. And it is another thing to know how to wield it. Shields are ridiculously heavy and they are ridiculously awkward and people who used them back in the day practice with them all the time. The Lord in his infinite and relentless hesed, is showing David how to handle that shield so that he might carry it and wield it for the rest of his life. Now this series is all about living a life of worship. And friends, this is what living a life of worship looks like when life gets tough. It is boldly affirming that the Lord God sits on the throne and he reigns, over heaven and over earth, and it is also bringing requests and waiting patiently to hear from him. It is trusting in that shield, and it is thanking him for it. And I believe that this is the Lord's invitation to all of us this morning. Whatever we've got going on, whatever enemies we are facing, whatever opposition we feel coming against us, Whatever our hopelessness and helplessness looks like, come to me, says the Lord. Take refuge in me. I will be your strength. I will give you hope. I will give you rest. And I will surround you with my said, with my love that never ends, that never relents. Whatever you need, it is found only in the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, what a tremendous blessing to know that your love never fails. And so, Lord, as we prayed, we need you. Lord, would you bless us to know what it is to bring things to you? Lord, would, would you bless us to know what it is to rest in your hesed. Lord, would you show us how to take refuge in you? Amen.